Ravens podcast, the only official, unofficial Baltimore Ravens podcast from the United Kingdom. Football, eh? First, everybody complains that you're taking a knee. Then everybody complains when you're not taking a knee. You can't win. Except the Ravens did win. 23-7 in Denver. 3-1, baby. Uh, welcome to the UK Ravens podcast. My name's Shane Richmond. I'm not Gaz Poole, our normal host. Gaz is on, let me just see if I can pronounce this right, Ho- holiday. Ho- holiday, I think that's the word. I dimly remember that word from before the plague times. He's sunning himself on a beach somewhere, but I am still joined by Ben Mortimer, Ian Domain, and James Ogden. This podcast may not reach our normal audio standards, we should say that at the beginning, because as well as being our very capable host, Gaz also polishes up all of the audio afterwards and does a great production job on it. But let's start with that uh, Denver Denver win, 23-7 over Denver, their first loss of the season, the Ravens' third win in a row, but it's all been somewhat overshadowed by this row about the final play of the game. Ben, just tell us what happened and then and your reaction to the reaction. Well, it became abundantly clear as we were moving through the fourth quarter that the uh, the Ravens were on the verge of tying the uh, the seventies um, record that's been in in play for I think forty four years from the uh, Steelers of most consecutive one hundred yard rush games by a team. We were hovering around that. I think it was a seventy something yards with about five or six minutes left, and suddenly I realised, my goodness, we're six yards from the goal line, but we need eight to tie the record. We're not going to do it this drive. As the Broncos were driving at the end, it looked like it wasn't going to happen because they were in possession of the football. Uh, Ten seconds left, still going for the end zone. And lo and behold, uh, they very conveniently threw a pick. Uh, which uh, led to us getting the ball back with very limited time. And at that point, everyone's thinking, well, are they going to take a knee? Are they going to run? I think all the Ravens fans were um, thinking, no, this is a this is a chance to actually <laughs> rub something in Pittsburgh's face, take a record, which is, you know, we are a running team and it would be, you know, it's, it's stood for 40 years. So who's to say it won't stand for 40 more if we get this record? So John Harbour, being John Harbour, said we need five yards or need four yards, but get five if you like and go down, game over. So that's exactly what he did. I think it's a in the spirit of the of the rules uh, records are there to be broken and this was i don't think this is an insignificant record i think it's one that you know is uh, a testimony to the coaches and the hard work they do to establish what is basically a run first offense has been phenomenally successful the fact that lamar got it and a lot of people are complaining about lamar being put at risk for one play which is basically um very low risk and also lamar is largely responsible for that record and we've become a, a running powerhouse with him behind center so it seemed fitting that he's the one that actually got the yards to tie that record so i have no problem with it vic fangio clearly does uh i don't know if something else happened in baltimore that affected his mindset towards harbour as well because it did seem an overreaction if he said that he expected it then why didn't he stop them from doing it steelers fans are annoyed mike florio is is uh is incandescent with rage so this means that it must be it must have been the right thing to do and i like it when (laughs) Everyone hates us. So, yeah, it was it was a great end. It was the cherry on the icing on the cake. There was no mention of this in the press conferences, in the, the Denver press conferences after the game. The first that it, it appeared to surface of this was when the footage came out of the Broncos' sidelines where they were very annoyed, seemingly, at the Ravens getting the play. They didn't seem so annoyed that the Ravens weren't lining up in victory formation. And then Fangio's comments where he was saying, you know, I expect this from Baltimore. They you know, don't respect player safety and whatever else. That came in the press conferences on Monday at the 
Team HQ. Uh, there wasn't. I'm, I'm not wrong. Am I? They didn't. Vangio didn't mention this in his after-game comments. No, there's a, there's a video of him at the sideline when they ran the play, and he throws down, you know, his headset, and clearly is quite annoyed by it. But uh, it does seem peculiar to US sports that you're not meant to run up the score, whereas in a lot of UK and European sports, you're meant to stop them. And if someone beats you eight or nine nil, you don't normally see managers complaining, saying, "Well, you could have taken it easy on us." But it's entirely down to it's not the it's not like a matter of sportsmanship. It's not we'll take it easy on you. It's just our work here is done. We're going to get this finished as quick as we can and go away. The Ravens decide their work wasn't done they needed an extra four yards and that's their decision it clearly mattered to him an awful lot that his defense would be the defense to stop the streak when you saw the game unfold i thought it was odd the way they were playing us on defense you know they they sold out to stop the run and there's there's one thing if this broncos defense is anything it's a great defense but it's also a great run defense and what it does normally is it dares you to run the ball he he has a light box he has four down linemen probably two, two linebackers. And he says, go on then, run it on us, and you'll see how quickly Kareem Jackson comes down from the safety position and blows you up. But he didn't do that with us. He he stacked the box. They wanted to stop the run, and they wanted to let Lamar beat them. Part of you could say that's a good bet because they've got a good secondary, and look what the Lions did to stop the run, and they had a bad secondary. If you've watched Lamar properly this, this season, you know he's taken a step. So you know that that is a significant gamble, putting our receivers who look a lot better against our much better passing concepts. So it was an interesting choice. It was an interesting choice to sell out so much to stop the run and to to, to gamble like that. When you've got a defense like Fangio does, I, I was intrigued to see him play him play us the way that they played everyone everybody else because it would have been a really I, I felt like it would have been a really difficult task. But he didn't do that. And I thought it was just him making the wrong gamble. But now, having seen how upset he is about the fact that the, they weren't the ones to stop the streak, it's starting to make me think that it, it, it that's all that game was about for him, which is which is a terrible indictment of him as a head coach, if that is the case. Yeah, it's true. It did. It, it struck me at a couple of times that they ran that or emulated that Lions five-two front specifically to stop the the Ravens. Um, running game, which I thought was was odd, because you know you'd made the point in the last podcast that that was specifically the way that they chose not to operate generally. But as you've you've mentioned the passing game and and the success we had in the passing game, um, three hundred yards for Lamar only the second time, and he was spreading the ball around as well. Ian, what did you make of the passing game on Sunday? Yeah, I think we've mentioned it once or twice already this season. We've said this was Lamar's best game as a passer. This was Lamar's best game as a passer. Like James said, the, the Broncos dared him to beat him with, with his arm, and, and he did. And he did it spreading spreading the ball around. Years past, it would have been Andrews and Brown. James Prochet led the team in yards and, and targets. He had he had five receptions. Uh, Mark Andrews, five receptions. Marquise Brown had four. Sammy Watkins, four. And he, even Devin Duvernay got, got involved with three catches. So really spreading the ball around as well. Something I've not seen from the Ravens for a good few years now is, is guys just running wide open. Prochet had that 30-yard gain where he's just on, on the left sideline all alone. The Mark Andrews touchdown that got called back for a god-awful penalty on the lineman that grabbed the guy that was nowhere near near the play. Again, Mark Andrews is just running wide open in, in the back of the end zone. And whether it's Roman, whether it's the two new guys that have come in, whether it's a combination of all of them, you, you've got to pick your poison now against against this offence and good luck stopping them. And Brown getting himself right after that uh 
that Detroit disaster in an absolutely spectacular fashion. Yeah, I mean, he was. I mean, he got an early an early catch. I mean, Lamar targeted him with the first throw of the game. A great mindset to try and you know get Hollywood up and running. And uh, I thought his his attitude and his focus was um, phenomenal. It just shows how quickly athletes can shake off a dreadful week last week which we talked about and i think we said in last week's show it was uh you know it's just one of those days you can't say anything more than that he knows he messed up move on and he he clearly did clearly that snack on the plane with the chicken dip has worked on the way back the um the touchdown itself was just a thing of beauty wasn't it i mean it was a you could argue it was maybe slightly overthrown <laughs> but uh, mm. it was a beautiful flick of the wrist from i got i think he got drilled just after it as well unnecessarily and um yeah it just uh, the 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 outstretch uh catch was was absolutely phenomenal he bounced off the turf yeah i'd love to see it so some of the concepts i think must have come from keith williams uh, but that's also t martin you know with the with the way that they are with the way that they're running routes now it's it's so it's it's a very different it's a, it's a very different beast and and from what you hear about bateman i know we'll talk about that in the news it, it looks as though he's more polished than than any Ravens receiver we've ever seen coming in. So there's more to come too as well. We're four weeks into the into the season now and the Ravens have a wide receiver ranked in the top 10 of yards. And if Brown had hauled in one or two of those catches against the Lions, he'd be in the top five. That's, that's crazy to think of. At the start of the season, you, you wouldn't have dreamed of it. On the other side of the field, James, um, again, it was just a joy to watch Wink break out his pressures all over the field and it, it paid off hugely uh, five sacks altogether yeah i mean the, the the pressure they got on that on that offensive line was great you saw some more heroics from from our guy adafi owe you got the sound he, effect shane the, no oh, yeah, that's man. no good at all <laughs> <laughs> i'll do it for now <laughs> carry on James. Oh, wait, wait, wait. hey so yeah adafi owe was was great again he in the sack it what was really was really encouraging about the sack, which obviously looked spectacular because he just beat the right tackle, all ends up. And then I've been on a couple of American podcasts this week and I can now use the word mullered. He absolutely mullered the, the quarterback. The, the thing that was most encouraging about that for me was was his use of hands. The way he the way he got free was through his hands. He used what's known as a, a stab club rip technique, where he stabs the inside hand of the offensive tackle, then he clubs with the outside hand, with clubs the offensive tackle's outside hand with his outside hand, and pins the pins the arm, and then rips through with his inside arm. And it was just a it was a it was a textbook move, and was was something that you you really wanted to see development from him, sort of putting together his athletic gifts with with some technique, which you saw flashes of at Penn State, and you saw some development at Penn State, and we got a load more development from him and uh, in this game. So he's clearly just picking things up ridiculously quickly. He's I think he's top 15 in pressures across the league, and you have to understand with that that he's not getting the same kind of opportunities as some of those guys that are higher up the league. Uh, higher up the the table you know he's he's doing other things and he's also playing run first a lot of the time which is causing him to not have as many pressures as some of those other guys and it's not like it's just some rookie who's everybody nobody's giving any attention to he's getting chipped on plays they're double teaming him it's he's not facing an easy easy ride i've talked loads about away there there were obviously some other sacks and actually in the away sack one of the most impressive things was that Justin Houston had come through his come through Garrett Bowles on the other side. It meant that Teddy Bridgewater couldn't step up into the into the pocket. So Houston Houston is just a professional pass rusher, and you can see it snap in, snap out. He's doing a, gr- a great job. And we got we got a couple of Tyus Bowser sacks, which was really great to see. Tyus Bowser 
you know, has really improved as a pass rusher. You saw the second sack specifically I really liked because he, he saw the block from Tim Patrick coming across the, the back of the formation and, and beat it with his brain, basically. He beat it with his with his with the how quickly he processed it. And then and Madabike was a wrecking ball too at certain points. He he had his way with Natani Muti most of the game. So we've got some individuals who are who are winning their battles as um, as pass rushers and it's something we've we've not seen for a while. And you combine that with Wink's ability to to dial up pressure himself and you're starting to look at a, a really dangerous defense. Yeah, I think that uh, it looks like Owe is in the defensive rookie of the year conversation now, which is, you know, great to see. And then Bowser is really developing as an all-rounder. That he's 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 not a one-dimensional. He's now looking like a guy who does a lot of things well. Yeah, the the one thing I felt um on Sunday that he kind of was missing from his game slightly. And it's only a small small element and the the Ravens are able to to sort of scheme it up so that he doesn't have to face this. But when you get him on a big offensive tackle in the run game with him trying to set the edge, he, he can get put on skates a little bit. But aside from that, and most of the time when he's in the run game setting the edge, they've got him to the close side of the formation. So they've got him on a tight end. And when he's got when he's going up against the tight end, it, it, it's fine. He plays with really good leverage. So it's not a prob- it's not a big problem. It's not a problem that we're going to see lots. That might be that teams try and scheme up to to attack it at times. But other than that the guy's got everything in his locker. He's, he's, he's doing everything as we, as we thought he would. His coverage is in particular is just, it's great. His coverage is, yeah, he's, he's an all around linebacker and you know, the, the pass rush side that he's added to his game is, is just really impressive. And the pass rush side that he's added to his game also includes power. You know, he is able to come through guys. It's that's the, the thing that's keeping offensive tackles honest and giving him a chance with speed around the edge because they're scared that he may actually come through them now. And so we've talked a little bit about some of the linebackers that were doing well. Um, Queen seemed to get taken off the field for a bit. Um, are we worried about his performance and how he's been doing in not just in that game, but in the game so far this season? Yeah, I mean, I've been worried about aspects of Queen's game since day well not day one well yeah day one you know, he was he was uh you know drafted with very high expectations and obviously a lot of um there's a lot of history in that position for the Ravens as well um and following Moses departure he was seen as the the great savior of of the middle of the linebacking core um I'm concerned that his um instincts to get to a a player to make the tackle to shed a block uh, seem to be not where they maybe should be um and yeah I, I think that the the benching was warranted uh and hopefully it maybe will have had some kind of impact i know that you know Bynes played a lot of snaps and was in for a, a lot of the game and uh is arguably a better option at the moment as far as offering a more well-rounded um, player to to make Keith because he's just missing too many tackles you know he's practicing regularly he's, he's being coached very hard um i hope that maybe the wake-up call would 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 ring true and he and i think you know it's still too early to press the the the, the big panic button on patrick queen um but i don't think he's i think it's fair to say he's not where we'd hoped he'd be at this stage of his career development so ben i think with with queen we've we've now reached uh we've now probably reached a situation where i, th- I think you're right i, I think we're gonna need, we're gonna see more of Bynes. 
I also think we're going to see more of Lee Harrison, who I thought had a really good game. He was reading his keys really well. He was getting into position. He he is uh, a little more proficient at getting off blocks than Queen. Um, he's much sure in the tackle when he gets there. He's a bigger guy, so of course he will be. So I thought Lee Harrison had a good game, and I think we'll see more of Bynes. I think they'll start putting Queen in more limited situations. I think the problem that we have with, with Patrick Queen is that he's he's very hesitant. He's He obviously is missing tackles when he gets there. But I think that the bigger issue is he's he's kind of was being schemed against very effectively. And it is very easy to scheme against him at the moment. You run some kind of jet motion across jet motion across the formation and he will be distracted by it. The Broncos did it all game and then they pulled a guy around and he wasn't able to process quickly enough to get underneath the block. So he, he has a lot of trouble getting off bigger blockers. He has done going back to LSU. And when you've got a guy that's surprised by that and he can't, he just can't work out. You know, people people don't realize deconstructing blocks and getting off blocks can also can be done through your, your football intelligence. You can see it coming and get underneath it. And he just isn't doing that. The, the thing I would, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of, commentary about it about how he's you know people sort of writing him off as finished and and not really wanting to to engage with him anymore i think people have to remember he's very young he didn't start at lsu until his final season at lsu and he didn't start until two or three games into his final season at lsu so he doesn't have a bunch of snaps under his belt i think we just have to adjust our our expectation of the trajectory of his career there are things i see that make me think he is going to be a very good player in the league. But I think we're going to just have to adjust our, our, our expectations and, and think that his, that his career trajectory, you know, unfortunately for the Ravens, he's, he, if he is going to peak and, and end up as a, as a good player in the league, it's probably going to be into year three, year four, uh, when, you know, we, we may have to, we may have to sacrifice him and, and lose him because of the contract situation. But I, 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 you know, I don't write him off. I think I think there's now a time to start controlling his snap count. Do some do some different things with him. Put him in some situations where he can be successful. And so, on. I think the only thing we haven't really discussed on the Denver game is is back on the other side of the ball with the running game. Obviously, Le'Veon Bell got his first action of the season. Uh, Tyson Williams in the doghouse for for something that doesn't seem especially clear to most fans, I think it's fair to say. Um, Ian, what's going on with the, with the running game? Yeah, so the inactives came out, didn't they? And, and Twitter exploded, and I'm sure Facebook did too, with the, with the Tyson Williams news. I've, I've seen a lot of things talked about, pass protection and, and other bits and pieces. I, I saw one tweet today from, from Cole, uh, who, said, who mentioned the fumbles and... He, he's fumbled twice, which which doesn't sound a lot, and one went out of bounds. The other Duvernay scooped up and, and scored from, so, that, so they haven't really cost the Ravens anything. But he's only touched the ball 32 times, and he's, and he's fumbled twice in, in those 32 carries. My math's not great, but that, that works out about 16 touches per fumble, which for an NFL running back, you're not, you're not going to last very long. I don't have kids. I presume this is John Harbour putting him on the equivalent of a naughty step I, I hope he was if he was on the plane and on the sideline he he had a ball under his arm and he was and he was carrying that thing round with him and he and he has been all week I think he will get back into the the lineup he he's the most explosive running back the Ravens have M- Murray's looked fine he's he's serviceable I think Devonta Freeman's going to find himself the odd man out he played he played six snaps the Ravens don't really seem to want to use him I, I think he He's going to find himself back on the practice squad or or somewhere else pretty soon, and 
Gaz, I've still got 690 yards on my Lav Bell jersey prop. I think I'm, I feel pretty safe on that. He, he showed, he showed me more than I thought he had. There was one play where he, he should have been blown up in the backfield. He, he sort of dodged a tackle, had a nice little spin and, and made it a one or two yard gain where he probably should have been blown up. But 700 yards seems an awful long way away. Early days yeah. yet, Ian. Early days. So before we go on to uh, to our guest for this week and to talk about the, the Monday night game that's coming up, we'll quickly um, have a look at some of the news. Um, Villanueva left the game early with a knee. It doesn't sound like that was... a, a a bad injury, though, from from what we've heard, is that right? He's been been struggling with his knee, uh, I think, for a while now. Um, Har- Harbour came out and said it was nothing serious. He's he said this before, and it's turned into something very serious. So, I don't think there's been any update yet. I haven't seen anything. It's all basically injury news, isn't it? Derek Wolf onto um, injury reserve. Do we think this is him? going away for a few weeks or do we think this is going to be him done now personally i think it's probably a few weeks but maybe that's hope rather than expectation i yeah with without him it's um it's i I just hate the ravens defensive line playing without Derek wolf he's he's a um he's a fantastic professional and he is uh, the reason why lots of other people are successful on our defensive lines um one of the ultimate unsung heroes of the NFL. So it's a bit disappointing that he that he is still out, and I really hope he's coming back. Uh, you would think, because of the fact that they didn't put him on IR straight away at the start of the season, that this is kind of an unexpected lingering of an injury. And what I have heard, what I, or what I've seen this this week, is some talk about how it's just a, you know, we we're just gonna we're just gonna take the opportunity to put him on IR and and just let him let him rest up and and, and get him back to full fitness um over those three weeks. So I think that's what it is. It's sort of let's not put as much pressure on anymore. Let's take out the three weeks and maybe even get him back after the bye. Well fingers crossed and that would also mean getting him back at, at the point when they really will need him. So let's let's keep fingers crossed. Uh and then some positive news or what looks like positive news. Um Rashad Bateman is into his second week of practice and and um, encouraging news from social media, apparently, Ben. Yeah, I mean, it, it does sort of raise the question of how much better the receiving core can get after already starting so well this year. We were talking earlier in the show about how, uh, you know, Brown was getting open, making plays, and if and, and Bateman is arguably a better route runner um, and another weapon that when you put him in there, you can only assume that, either he will get open or Brown will get more open because you can't cover everyone and it's just going to make it better. So it's very exciting to have kind of an NFL-ready receiver um, who looks good out of the gates, ready to be plugged into this offense. So um, I'm glad they didn't rush him back. And there's a lot of people talking last week about potentially maybe, you know, having him show up in Denver and obviously that didn't happen. But it would definitely be nice to see him play a few snaps um, on Monday night. And, uh, yeah, it can only only be... uh, you know, an improvement to the offense and making us even more dangerous. So looking forward to seeing what he's got. And certainly a possibility that um, the increased action for Prochet, Duvernay, I keep doing that, Duvernay, um, the increased action for those guys was a chance to get a look at them before having yet another player competing for snap. Yeah, I'm hoping it's it's our reward on first staying up on Monday night, all of us UK rooms that we get to see, that we get to see Richard Bateman. 
Uh, and his and his French co- counterpart Shane du- Duvernay. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, so it's time for us to bring in our guest and start talking. Uh, well, a little bit about Baltimore, but also looking ahead to that Monday night game. It's time now to welcome in our guest this week. And in a change from the way we've been doing things over the last few weeks, we haven't got an opposing fan. Um, We've actually got a fellow Raven, but just from the other side of the pond. So joining us is uh, Tim Horsey, who is uh, host of the Pod Like a Raven podcast. Um, Also a fan of a certain soccer team over here, but we'll come to that one a little bit later, I think. Um, So Tim, uh, well, why don't you introduce yourself to the fan base? I'm sure there's we've got plenty of people who listen to your podcast amongst our audience. But for those who haven't heard it yet. Yeah, for the six of you that listen, I appreciate it. Uh, Thank Thanks, guys, for having me on. Um, yeah, Pod Like a Raven is it. I do it with two of my... It, it's it's weird to think we were talking about this the other day. Uh, friends that I've known for a, over a decade now. We did a college radio show at the University of Maryland called Raven's Wrap Up. And three seasons ago, we decided to bring it into podcast form. Uh, unfortunately, the name Raven's Wrap Up was already taken. So we decided a little, you know, John Harbaugh's message, the play like a Raven thing. We just decided to play off that. And... Um, it's been a lot of fun. You know, I think you guys have the same kind of thing here where it's nice to kind of have a cathartic release every Monday or Tuesday or whenever whenever you end up recording after a game to, you know, either celebrate or vent your frustrations with uh, with fellow fans. So I'm happy to do that today here as well. And um, you're kind of spread across the, the country, aren't you? Your, your um, fellow potters, which must be more complicated. It's complicated enough enough for us to all get on at the same time but i guess you guys have got a time difference to contend with yeah we we have one so uh we're all originally from maryland we're all from the baltimore area um antonio is from the city i'm from about 30 minutes northwest and then jace is about 45 minutes northwest closer to me uh obviously all grew up massive ravens fans and then jace uh now works at usa today over in los angeles um, what, what helps us is, and he won't mind me saying this, Jace sleeps in incredibly late. So basically it's just as soon as he wakes up on the West coast, we start recording. Uh, he, he, he works a night shift job over there. So his schedule is all wonky as it is. So it's, it hasn't been too bad. You know, I think, you know, if we're being frank, maybe I'd like to try and record it right after the games. But I also, I think that would be a bit too emotional, especially if the results keep going like they have been this season, where it legitimately comes down to the final seconds almost every week. So we do it on Mondays. It releases every Tuesdays, or every Tuesday, excuse me, on wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, what have you. Um, and then, of course, obviously, you know, like this coming week, it won't release until Wednesday because we're going to record it uh, on Tuesday with the Monday night game coming up. Yeah, as you say, the first few games of the season were real heart stoppers. It was kind of nice to have one this weekend where it wasn't a, a, a really tense finish. But what's your view on the season so far? We're kind of, if they hadn't added an extra game, we'd be nicely a quarter of the way through. But it's we're going to wait till the end of the first quarter on Monday before we're a quarter of the way through the and season. It's just inc- the, the 17 number. I, you know, you say you're never <laughs> going to get used to anything. And, and, and then, you know, Three years later, the new Twitter layout is just normal to you now or whatever it is. The 17-game thing, I'm never going to get used to. I've been so good at the 16-game math. Math was never really a strong suit for me. But being able to add those numbers up, 8 and 8, 9 and 7, 10 and 6, it's going to completely screw everything up. Um, In terms of the season, 
you know, I, I admittedly can be a little bit of a pessimist sometimes, but I have nothing but optimism for this team, especially how they started. Um, I, I, you just talk about training camp and preseason and what have you, the amount of injuries where it was every single day. I mean, every every year in the NFL, one of these teams gets this, and it ended up just being the Baltimore Ravens this year. You know, I, I heard every single Denver Broncos fan whine about their injury list. I don't want to hear it. Uh, based on what the Ravens have had to go through so far. But, you know, there are still some concerns, but the way they have kind of been able to patch things together, the teams, you know, taking down the Chiefs, I think, is the ultimate test of this. The, the fact that they got they were able to get that big win, they were able to beat an undefeated team uh, last weekend, even if, you know, the teams they beat before that were high school teams, essentially. I think it's been, it's been, a, re- it's been a good start. Now, it's something that we've talked about on Pod Like a Raven. I'm sure you guys have as well. This start to the season is absolutely vital because, frankly, the last couple of years, we've had a pretty easy run-in where if you needed some must-win games for the end of the year, you were playing the likes of the Jaguars and the Giants and the Bengals almost, you know, to end the year almost every year. And then obviously no Burrow last year, which made it even easier. This is not that season for that. So getting off to this hot start was imperative and... You know, long may it continue. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, not to ramble too much. My biggest worry is the offensive line. And I think it's, 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 I'm not stating the obvious that it's a patch job at this point. And the fact that at some point Alejandro Villanueva is going to have to go back to right tackle. And the only time we've seen him play right tackle, Max Crosby ate his lunch over and over and over again is a bit concerning. But Maybe he sticks it left because Ronnie Stanley can't come back, and that's a massive issue. Pat McCarry is a center playing right tackle at that point. Ben Cleveland, who we all love because he looks like a mythical creature, is still a rookie, and you don't necessarily know what you're going to get from him week in and week out. So that is my one reservation for giving this season the start of the year an A+, because that is a unit that could you know completely be a downfall for you when it comes come January, February. Yeah, I mean, that's- we didn't mention, we, we talked about our, our view of the game uh, against Denver. We didn't really talk much about um, the offensive line. What did you make of them? They seemed to me that they, they were fairly solid in pass protection, but in running, they were really struggling on getting guys off the ball and creating holes. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you um if you look at the if you look at the pff numbers from pro football focus which are hit or miss you know i like i like to reference them a lot but you got to take them with a grain of salt sometimes von miller didn't have a good day for by von miller's standards and a lot of the time he was lining up against patrick mccari i thought mccari held up pretty well on that right side especially in pass pro um losing villanueva was tough i frankly i thought andre smith was fine for what we were expecting from him, the face mask on the Mark Andrews touchdown aside, obviously. Uh, that being said, I don't want him starting Monday night, which we'll talk about, and that all just depends on if Villanueva is healthy or not. But yeah, I mean, I, I Shane, I reflect the same thoughts you had. I think what Denver, what the Denver game showed, is that the Ravens can win when they can't run the football, which glass half full is a massive, massive thing. Lamar was thrown outside the numbers; he was accurate. He didn't turn the ball over. There were no stupid picks, which we've seen in the first couple games this year. That was encouraging. And I think the pass protection was pretty good outside of a few moments where they let the guys through. And it's Von Miller. It's going to happen. He's one of the best players in the league. But the the running game concerns me. That being said, if you're going to be positive here and you know off recording, we talked about this as a more positive podcast. So I'll try and spin it that way just a little bit. It is nice to see that this team, when Vic Fangio, when... Steve Spagnuolo with the Chiefs when who 
name the coordinator, Mike Tomlin and that Steelers defense, whoever it is, when they're trying to load the box and say, you're not going to run on us today, that's not the be-all, end-all anymore for the Baltimore Ravens, which is an incredibly encouraging sign. Obviously, anybody listening to this on the U.S. side of things knows uh, full well that the Colts used to be in Baltimore. But uh, a lot of the U.K. fans over here, particularly the younger ones, may not know that. Ben, what's the, the give, give us the kind of top-line story for fans who may not know. Yeah, I mean, this is an area that really um, I, I find the sort of key component of my support of the Ravens and kind of really kind of rails me against the Colts. But they, um, uh, the, the, the illustrious history, the Colts, um, you know, won uh, multiple world championships, uh, greats like Johnny Unitas uh, representing that team, um, Carol Rosenblum, former owner, um, who, you know, had a very successful tenure, um, but there was an ownership swap. The Ursay family took over, led by Bob Ursay. So um, Bob Ursay was his own mother decided, described him as, uh, I think it was the devil on earth or Satan, something like that. He's dead. You can't libel the dead, so he was. <laughs> um, he was uh, a raging drunk. He um, uh, liked to make decisions without consulting anyone. He'd um, fire people on the spot. He'd come down to the sideline and call plays. Um, he embarrassed the city. Uh, he didn't upgrade. Uh, he, well, basically, what, the, the, the excuse that was used was that Memorial Stadium was no longer fit for purpose. He wanted to get out of there and he wanted the money. And lo and behold, this is a very, very abbreviated version, but in the middle of the night, the Baltimore Colts left town. Uh, the next morning, the city woke up and they didn't have a team, a much-loved team. The players were part of the community. Community and it kind of ripped the heart out of Baltimore. So, um, and to make matters worse, they kept the name and the records of the uh, the Colts. So now the Baltimore Colts and the Indianapolis Colts, um, uh, for NFL purposes, are indistinguishable. Um, they've made a little effort, I think, in the Hall of Fame to separate that, but uh, it's still an open wound to, especially to a lot of those older Baltimore fans. Yeah, when they come back, it is a big deal, and it's become less of a big deal over time as the younger fan base have kind of come into the stadium, and and the, the old guys have maybe, uh, you know, not gone to the games anymore, and and it's kind of, you know, time is a healer. Um, but uh, you know, in my view, uh, it's one of you know it, it, the, the two situations are not comparable because when Cleveland did move to Baltimore, albeit under a little bit of duress, Art Modell gave the records and the colours back to the city of Cleveland. Baltimore still doesn't have that from from Indianapolis. Um, For a long time, the Colts were known as Indy on the scoreboard. The the Ravens refused to put Colts on the scoreboard, which I always thought was a nice touch. Um, I did go, I was at uh, one of the worst, I think, games I've been to was the 2006 season playoff game against the Colts at home. It was the first real um, big competitive matchup between the teams since really the Colts left town and the Ravens had come to Baltimore. And that atmosphere was poisonous. It was the the Ravens left or the Colts left on Mayflower trucks. Some indie fans came into our tailgate lot, put a Mayflower flag up, and the police had to be called. There was some burning. Uh, there was some some physical altercations. And by the time we got into that stadium, um, it was a bit. I'd equate it to uh, how it was described at the Euro final with England. It kind of went from a, a kind of celebratory anticipation to kind of a toxic nervousness um, to the point where. You know, someone who was next to me throughout the entire season had sold his season tickets to Colts fans for this game. And there was a guy who had brought his, I guess, 10-year-old son in a Colts jersey. 
it wasn't the the kid's fault, and I'm still ashamed of it. But I did abuse them quite heavily that that game, <laughs> and the kid looked like he was very upset about it. And I do still regret that. And I'm admitting it now on the pod <laughs> that I did let my emotions get the better of me. Never since, but I really let that that team get under my skin. So um, to bring it back full circle, I'm not a fan. The other thing that I think is worth mentioning, and I want to bring Tim in, obviously, as a, as a Maryland native, but I think it's also worth mentioning that Baltimore was trying to get a team pretty much from as soon as the Colts went. And when the NFL started looking at expanding, they made a pitch for the team um, and at the, they failed to get it. I think it was Jacksonville who got it instead of Baltimore. And the commissioner of the NFL said that maybe Baltimore should take the money they'd raised for a stadium and use it to build a museum. Uh, and you can imagine how well that went down. Uh, so that, that kind of fueled this idea that the league doesn't really like or care about Baltimore. And as Ben said at the beginning of that, the Colts were absolutely a foundation stone of the NFL. They played in what's still known as the greatest game ever played, the NFL championship game against the Giants. It's the game that that broke the game on TV, basically. It's when people watched the NFL on TV for the first time and thought this can be an amazing sport to watch. So Baltimore played an absolutely vital role in turning the NFL into what it is today. And a lot of people, I think, still feel like they were treated with contempt um tim i don't I, I don't know how old you are but what was growing up for you what was were the ravens already in existence when you became a football fan so i was born in 92 so they came in 96 but ben recounting that story and i, I can't necessarily speak for my entire generation but i know i can speak for most of it my blood was boiling it it is still an incredibly incredibly sore spot i i, I like have tears in my eyes you can't see with the glasses the fact that Johnny Unitas, Raymond Barry, John McKay, Lenny Moore, Art Donovan, Gino Marchetti, like, and, and of course, I'm a massive football nerd, so maybe not everybody feels the same way about this stuff. The fact that they're enshrined and recognized as Indianapolis Colts and Canton, I think, is an absolute farce and a stain on the game. And all I hear about is how Baltimore took Cleveland's team. Art Modell tried to stay in Cleveland. They wouldn't give him a stadium like all these other cities fund, you know, taxpayer money to fund stadiums. They wouldn't do it for Art Modell. He tried and tried and tried. He just couldn't anymore. So they ended up leaving under some distress. Robert Ursay, as you mentioned, was a flat out drunk and was an, an ignorant person, to put it lightly, and stole, stole the team from my parents' generation, my grandparents' generation, and they they stole something that it's hard to describe, and, and I'm going to try and do it the best I can. But, you know, Baltimore is an incredibly prideful city and an incredibly prideful area. And it is. And we'll talk about this in a, in a while. I'm a Liverpool fan. Part of the reason I'm attached as, as a Liverpool fan, and as you guys understand over there, is that fan base, their week is made based on the result. Like, it, it is... You know, it's either good or bad based on what happened at Anfield that weekend. And the Ravens have become that, and the Colts were that. And the Orioles, if they could ever, you know, stop tripping over their own feet, would be the same thing. And to have them stolen in the way that they were by the person that did it, it, it is never going to go away. I, I really, I wholeheartedly admit, I think it, it is definitely lessened, as Ben mentioned. They do put Colts on the scoreboard now. They don't. They stop putting Indy, and 
you know, Peyton's gone, Ray's gone, Jo's gone. It's it's a different it's a different legacy um, in terms of them coming back. But you know, every time I every time they show uh, Jim Ursay being some lovable character, I want to punch my television screen. Like it's just because of that legacy that lives on there. And and the biggest thing for me too is, and I mentioned it before, the records are gone. I, I've I've you know I bleed purple and black at this point. I it's not my own personal regret because there's nothing I could do about it, but I just wish that they were still Colts. I know I my my parents have friends and, and you know older people in my life that are not Indianapolis Colts fans. They watch the Ravens, but they are Baltimore Colts fans. They are they will go to games, Ravens, Jaguars, whoever you name it, at M&T Bank Stadium wearing their Colts gear because that is their team. That is who they grew up with, and I can't I can't fathom having this team stripped away from me. And the fact that, that this city who like is always looked always looked upon as the little brother on the East Coast. Everybody talks about New York, everybody talks about Philadelphia, everybody talks about Washington DC. Baltimore is the little brother and we clearly have a chip on our shoulder because of that. And then to just get kicked while you're down again and then I it could be a pseudo memory, but I remember when Jackson like I have a faint memory and like the emotions around Jacksonville getting picked. And I tell you what, Paul Tagliabue, who's the commissioner at that time, is not welcome in Charm City ever. And, and and people will never forget that 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 team Art Modell fought tooth and nail to, to to try and get a team into Baltimore, and they weren't awarded the expansion. And then it you know it took Cleveland, and I understand why they don't like us. I get it, but not being able to recognize that it happened to us in a worse way and that the national media will never recognize that. The fact that Art Modell is not in the Hall of Fame after everything that he did for this for this league, a, a revolutionary man in the National Football League won't get put in because some Cleveland fans are still crying into their soup just is infuriating to me. I will say just one thing, if you haven't, um, especially if you're a younger generation, if you're a new Ravens fan, if you've come in with the Lamar era, which I know a lot of people have, and hey, the more on the bandwagon, the better. I'm super fine with that. Uh, it's an ESPN documentary. It was one of their first they did on the 30 for 30. It's called The Band That Wouldn't Die. And it's about the Baltimore Ravens band. To If you don't know, we're the only team in the NFL to have a marching band still. And it's because they got left. They, the, the, the band did not travel. with the, They did not even know. They woke up and realized the team that we support, the team that we march out for every day is gone. And it's it's very powerful. It's directed by a Baltimore man himself, um, Barry Levinson. Highly, rec- I'm sure it's it's been out for a while now. It's probably available free somewhere, or if not, it's worth the you know the couple pounds to rent it. But um, it paints the emotion of of what happened, and it gives you. It doesn't give you enough. Trust me, it gives you a little insight on what kind of a guy Ursay was and what happened. So yeah, to to wrap it on a nice bow. Yeah, sure, it's dead in just a little bit, but I I want to beat the brakes off the Colts on Monday night. I hope they do. <laughs> well, well said, Tim, and I, c- I can testify that that ESPN special is well worth it's watching fantastic. for anyone that has an uh, interest in the history. But let's let's yeah move on to the 2021 Indianapolis Colts, who have not uh, not really got off to a flyer, have they? Um, Ian, maybe you can sort of tell us. Uh, First of all, where where are they at, and are there, is there anybody that we should be concerned about? Uh, yeah, they what uh, one and three record. Uh, I think they they managed to scrape past the lowly Dolphins this this weekend. Um, in terms of people to look out for on their team, I mean, 
I'll, I'll say now that their best player is their left guard and he's on IR. Um, a guy called Quentin Nelson, um, who, who I, I think would probably be the best offensive lineman in the league, uh, or very close to it. Um, as I say, he's, he's been placed on IR. Um, I'm sure Ben's got stashed on one of his many fantasy teams. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, who, uh, the, the Colts really should give the ball to more and for some reason just don't don't seem to want to they they fed him a little bit against the Dolphins uh he he leads the team with 270 odd rushing yards so he's he's a guy that the Ravens are gonna have to look out for receiving wise uh, uh Michael Pittman leads leads the team in in re- receiving yards again just under 300 300 receiving yards not an awful lot outside of him though Naheem Hines is is second in the team in in yards um he's the sort of pass catching running back which has caused the Ravens some problems earlier in the season so that's again someone the Ravens are going to have to going to have to look out for um I think that the strength of of the Colts team is probably on the defensive side of the ball um Darius Leonard's obviously uh, one of the best linebackers in in the league uh he's a guy that's just all over the field you you have to talk about the the quarterback Carson Wentz who's who's playing on two extremely dodgy ankles and I think they're leaving him in there because they've got nothing behind him he's he's a sort of Ben Roethlisberger light from about five years ago he's struggling to move around he's 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 gonna make a few plays but he's also gonna gonna give you a few opportunities so um there's not a, there's not a busting lot of of offensive talent on this team that, that's going to scare you i think tim what are you expecting from from monday night uh too close of a game and maybe that's just me being trained off what has happened this season it's it's interesting because i think you know the colts dolphins game last weekend was a battle of two teams that i thought were going to be way better and i thought i thought wentz coming back with frank reich who he was with in Philadelphia when Wentz was a or an MVP candidate, excuse me, before he got hurt, and then obviously famously uh, Nick Foles, you know, beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. God bless him. This this Ravens team, for those of you, obviously, you guys have been following them for a while now, but if you're a new uh, a new fan, maybe your first experience of a quote unquote trap game was against the Detroit Lions. The Ravens are very famous for these. They love losing to teams that they should not lose to coming off big wins. It's a theme in the NFL, but you know when you look specifically at the Ravens and watch them every week like we all do, it felt like a recurring theme under the Joe Flacco era, even when those teams were very, very good. Um, Lamar doesn't do that. And I, when I say Lamar, obviously, this new reincarnation of the Baltimore Ravens in this roster they're usually pretty good at beating the teams they should beat. Um, Ian mentioned it. Quentin Nelson is not only the best player in the Colts. For my money, he's a top three player in the National Football League. It is like at what he does. I, he's just, I love watching offense and defensive line. It's where the game is won, in my opinion. And watching that guy get really, really mean and road grade dudes over and over and over again is is special. And it is a massive loss for them, especially. You know, coming off this Ravens team that I know Denver was down two guards as well, but the Ravens are finally showing a little bit of life in the pass rush um, and not just when Wink, you know, sends the house as he loves to do. It's it's with four. It's with five sometimes even. Um, you know, Adafi Owe has been lining up both sides a little bit inside as well and has been has been frankly dominated what he's been doing Clayus Campbell one of the most underappreciated guys in the league. So I think the defensive line can really get after them that way. You know, Ian mentioned it. 
Nobody else in that offense really scares me. Um, the only thing that scares me about Wentz is I had a I had a buddy text me during the Denver game who was a little bit scared of Drew Locke just because Drew Locke does stuff. You know, it's it's Teddy's going to take the check down. He's going to take the, the five yard. He's very accurate, but he doesn't move the ball down the field in major chunks. Carson Wentz has a little bit about that. Uh, you know, the Ben Roethlisberger light is the perfect example. He's going to be able to break a few tackles. No play has ever done in Carson's mind. And it's high risk, high reward. You know, maybe we see some picks from the secondary because of it or some broken coverages because they can't, you know, you can't follow a receiver five, six, seven seconds. It's just not how it works. So on that side of the ball, I don't know. The Ravens should be able to handle them pretty handily, but there is this boom or bust mentality of Carson Wentz that I know, even though he hasn't been that great, still worries me a bit. Uh, When the Ravens are on offense, I'm looking at this. I'm you just I'm looking I have the box score up of the Dolphins game and you're looking at some of the guys on this defense and I couldn't name them. And it's weird, you know, Darius Leonard I love. Again, I it, it's weird for me to say about a Colts team, but they have two of my favorite non-Ravens in the league, and Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard. Darius Leonard is everything Patrick Queen should be, and he's just he does he does everything pass coverage reading the game well sideline to sideline speed tackling which you know i know a revelation in the national football league to be able to actually wrap somebody up and tackle um and then the other guy i'd look out for too is deforest buckner they brought him in from sam fran last season and he was a revelation and he's he's part of the reason leonard is so good because he takes up blocks he gets penetration and it's going to be a task i, I mean I, I know james follows this stuff too it's going to be a task for Ben Cleveland, Powers, uh, Bradley Bozeman in the middle to contain that guy because he's got the length, he's got the power, he's got speed inside as well for a big guy. Um, And worst comes to worst, he takes up blockers for Darius Leonard to to run free. Um, All that being said, look, you know, I said this on Pod Like a Raven when we recorded it last night. Everything on paper looks to me like this should be a comfortable Ravens win. But then you look at the line and you go minus seven and... I'm fully confident in a Baltimore victory here. And for you guys watching abroad, I would love for it to be wrapped up by halftime because I can't imagine staying up that late for another primetime game, what, the third one in the first five (laughs) weeks or whatever it is. Um, But something tells me this one's going to just be a little close. It's going to be a little testy or it's a, you know, and everybody has seen this. Ravens go up 14 and it's like, okay, one more three and out and then put a field goal up. You're up 17. We're coasting. And that drive, they give up a touchdown, and all of a sudden, it's a seven-point game again. There's there's something, and it's, you could call it a total gut call. There's something that this one, it's not going to be, it won't be the Raiders, it won't be the Lions, it won't be anything that dramatic, the Chiefs even, but it's going to be tighter at the end than we think. So, you know, if, you know betting-wise, I, I, on the podcast yesterday, call it contrarianism, what have you, I said Colts plus seven, but a Ravens victory, um, and... Yeah, I just think it's going to be a little bit tighter. I think people are too down on the Colts for some of the talent that they have, to put it mm-hmm. that way. Um, and, uh, can you put out any kind of player prediction? Who do you think is going to have a big game if you were going to pick someone who's going to really make a difference? Oh, man, I mean, I, obviously I just want to say Lamar Jackson. But let's go to the, <laughs> let's go to the other side of the football. I mean, I think this is a, a guy that has emerged and he's, you know, He's one of the dudes that the 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 and this is this is a compliment like the smart people you follow on Twitter the people who really break down the all 22 and that fun stuff a guy who everyone seems to be high on especially the Ravens seeing as much time he's getting with Derek Wolf out is Justin Matabuke and if you're dealing with you know if I'm going to pick somebody that's a little different 
maybe this is a kind of a coming out game for Matabuke alongside Calais Campbell. It doesn't look like Derek Wolf is coming back. They've they've been pretty quiet about his return, although Harbaugh's really not taking questions about injuries, and frankly, I don't blame him after the summer that they had. But that's a guy with a backup offensive line, uh, you know, a backup left guard, a guy not named Quentin Nelson sitting in there. Calais Campbell probably going to have a strong game. Matabuke going to have a strong game. Take away Jonathan Taylor because he is their biggest threat on offense. You do that. If you do what Denver did to the Ravens rushing game, I don't believe in Wentz to be able to win that football game like I do Lamar, If that, in that sense, too. Another guy I don't really believe in is Eric Fisher, the the number one overall pick in 2013 who was with the Chiefs forever. As you know, now is the left tackle of the Colts. That's an O-way spot. Put him, put him over top of Eric Fisher, and I think his length, his athleticism, and just his pure speed off the edge and his burst and his way to get off the line I think could be a problem for Fisher all day. Let's hope so. Um, so we're going to let you go because we've taken up far too much of your time already. But um, tell everybody, to remind everybody again where they can find Pod Like a Raven and then tell, tell everyone where they can find you on socials and what have you. Yeah, absolutely, guys. And I appreciate it. It was more of me just rambling. So, you know, and I appreciate you having me. It's great to Um, hear. Yeah, so you can find me. I I kept it easy on Twitter, at Tim Horsey, H-O-R-S-E-Y, just like the animal with the Y on the end. Um, And then Pod Like a Raven. You can find us Pod Like a Raven on Instagram, Pod Like a Raven on Twitter, uh, podlikearaven at gmail.com. If you have uh, comments or questions you want us to read out during the show. Uh, we love doing it. We're we're kind of, we're in our third year now, so we're finally starting to really get in a groove of it. And, and I think it's a it's a pretty good listen every week. So if you need something, just like what you guys do, you know the national media doesn't talk about the Ravens enough. Uh, they do a little bit more now that they have a former MVP at quarterback. But there's sometimes you know I I listen to a bunch of NFL stuff on Mondays. I didn't hear a peep about them beating Denver. We did we did 45 minutes on it, just like you guys have done. So if you need more Ravens in your life, and I mean come on, we all do. Pod Like a Raven, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, it'll be right there for you. It is a really good listen. I can uh, second that. And um, and also, you mentioned a little bit about being a Liverpool fan, but your day job is is round ball football. Um, we call it soccer on this show just to avoid confusion. But uh, you're presumably happy to chat about that kind of football as well with people on social media. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my day job, I work at a Sirius XMFC, which is the United States only all soccer radio station. It's 24 seven. I'll keep it simple here too. It's 24 seven soccer. Um, I, I produce a show called Grumpy Pundits with I'm sure some of you will know the legendary Rodney Marsh and uh, Tommy Smith, who called 13 Champions League finals for ESPN over here in the States. Uh, Tom Rennie as well, who is one of the presenters at TalkSport, uh, fills in. Uh, is, he's, that, he's all- is that Tommy Irish back of the old onion bag Smith? That is Tommy back of the old <laughs> onion bag Smith. Yeah, Tom, Tommy and Rodney and, and Tom, they, they split duties. Rodney's on three days a week. Tom's on three days a week. Tommy's on four days a week. Uh, nine to noon. Unfortunately, you know, if you're listening to this podcast in the U.S., you can listen every day from 9, 9 a.m. to noon Eastern. Unfortunately, we're only available in the United States um, I wish we weren't, but I also produce another soccer podcast for them called Week in the Tackle. That's available wherever you want with Tom Rennie and Brian Dunseth as well. Just right when you subscribe to uh, Pod Like a Raven, you su- subscribe to Week in the Tackle for a different kind of football. Great. So people can come and talk to you about either kind of football. Thanks very Absolutely. much for your time, Tim. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Bye. Tim. <laughs>
So we've got Tim's prediction of what he expects to see on Monday night. Uh, we'll go around the room and get uh, score predictions from this side of the Atlantic. But before we do that, James, um, what's our matchup to watch? What should we be looking for from the Colts on Monday? Yeah, so I think um, I mentioned this in the last in the last podcast that it would be a good good to watch uh, Greg Roman against uh, Vic Fangio from last week. I think uh, there's another. Uh, epic coordinator matchup this week that you, that, that you should be watching in terms of st- strategy. I think Frank Frank Reich is a is a a beautiful play designer. He has some outrageously good passing concepts. He has a, a run game that is is multiple and basically has defensive linemen spitting, not knowing where they're going to get blocked from or by who or when. So definitely look out for for Wink having to 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 keep his keep his um coverage is varied keep his pressure packages varied you really cannot rely on everything you've relied on before against frank Reich because he will have a way to scheme up to beat you so uh, although his offense isn't necessarily executing at the highest level yet so that's definitely something to watch this this matchup definitely would have included quinton nelson as 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 ian's already alluded to if i was going to give you a matchup to watch there was a player so i'm going to go to the other side of the ball and and tim tim mentioned him um it's deforest buckner deforest buckner is a is a wrecking ball of a defensive lineman so I always do a, a good on good matchup, and so I would I would watch out for DeForest Buckner up against Kevin Zeitler. He, uh, Buckner will move around the defensive line, and I'm sure they'll get him matched up on our on our uh, substituting left guard package. Uh, and I'm sure they'll try and get him on Bozeman, although Bozeman's looked pretty good so far through the season. Definitely watch him when he goes up against Zeitler. That'll be a um, a really good battle all game long, and it will will probably decide the outcome of the game. Just a small thing. Uh, if the Ravens focus too much on DeForest Buckner, there will be a guy called Al-Qadeen Muhammad who plays for the, the Colts as well on their defensive line. There's not a lot of other talent on their defense, but Muhammad is a um, is quite a, is a formidable defensive end. And he if you put too much focus on stopping Buckner, Muhammad gets gets, you know, gets to your quarterback, although the, the Colts uh, are bottom dead last in terms of pressure on the quarterback so i'd be very surprised if we see a number of pressures on on lamar this week i think he's gonna have our offensive line will look pretty good this week so ben what do you reckon for a score and have you got a a player proposition for what you're expecting to see on monday yeah i'm uh, more optimistic than tim actually about uh, monday night i think we've had one uh, prime time home game already and that was against the chiefs and we uh we showed up under the lights and I think we'll do it again. I think that this team has gained confidence from uh, really starting with the last minute Detroit escape and carrying that through to a very accomplished performance in Denver. And I think they're going to come home full of confidence and really play well. And I think with the injuries that um, the, the Colts have endured as well, we'll expose that. Um, and I think we'll have quite a big night offensively. So I'm going to go 38-21 Ravens. Um, and for the um, weird score of the game, I'm going to say that Pat Ricard's going to score a touchdown. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Ian, so, over to you. Yeah, I've got a little bit closer, but still I think I've, I've got a Ravens win. Uh, I'm going to go 31-26. Um, for my my player prop will turn into a team prop. The, the 100 yard streak record that's going to be smashed i think the ravens will will get back to rushing ways and they'll go for over 200 in this game 
And Lamar um, won't lead the team in rushing. There you go. There's a there's a spicy one for you. It's going to be Patrick Ricard, isn't it? <laughs> uh, right, James, over to you. Yeah, so I think um, there's a particular thing about the, the Colts' defence that means I think we might stall on stall in the red zone a little more than, than we have done um, in the, the first few games. So I'm going to go for a 23-13 victory, which would include three field goals from Tucker. Um, so I think that's going to be the the score and I, I'm going to go for James Prochet to lead the team in receptions again this week Nice, um, well as I'm the host I have to do uh, Gaz's outlandish prediction, I can't do one of mine so I'm going to say I think it's going to be 55-8 to the Ravens <laughs> and for a proposition I think um, with his hair on fire and wielding an axe, Vic Fangio is going to charge the, the across the field at half time uh, only to be brought down at the last second by Chuck Clark. So that's my that's my player proposition. Um, so if I mean if that comes true, I should put a bet on that, shouldn't I? Uh, if that comes true, I think we will all be amazed. Um, this clip's going viral. If that comes true, <laughs> yeah, can you, they'll believe I was in on it. He could. That's the only way he could have known beforehand. Vic's telling him his plans. Um, we will be back next Thursday with uh, with Gaz back in the hosting chair. Uh, next week we will review the Colts game. We will see if my prediction has come true. We'll preview a game against the Chargers when the uh, Ravens are back on 6pm Sunday for those of us here in the UK and still at home at M&T Bank Stadium. Uh, thank you for listening. If you'd like to be involved with the show, please email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. Until next week, let's go Ravens! Thank you for listening to the UK Ravens podcast. This podcast is created, hosted and produced by members of the UK Ravens. Join the community on social media at UK Ravens and facebook.com forward slash UK Ravens. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the UK Ravens podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. To be involved with the show, email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. For more info, links, and to stay up to date, visit www.ukravens.com.